And we are back for another episode of AlphaCast. My name's Mike Winner. I'm here as always with Dr. Bear Paul Lando up on the Smith River here on the border of California and Oregon in the great state of Jefferson. Today we have a show that's close to our heart. We are diving back into Walter Russell in The Wave Lies the Secret of Creation with Dr. Tim Binder, who's joining us today up uh, from Montana. And uh, he's a chiropractor, naturopath. Dr. Tim A. Binder uh, was the past president of the University of Science and Philosophy, and uh, he's an author and joins us today as we dive back into Walter Russell, which uh, is, of course, someone who really uh, has influenced everything that we do here at Alpha Vedic. Uh, for those that are new to Alpha Vedic, joining us for the first time, we are an off-grid farm and health co-op. And we do this podcast live every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on DLive, dlive.tv forward slash alphavedic, so you can join us there. Or you can find out more about us on our website at alphavedic.com. That's A-L-F-A-V-E-D-I-C.com. There you can see the wonderful products that we grow and sell. And if you uh, enjoy this content, that's one of the best ways to support us is by going to our website and purchasing products. If you're outside of the US, you can support us currently by joining our co-op on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash alphavedic. And there's a number of other ways too that you can support us too. So go to our website, alphavedic.com for more info there. Um, so uh, back to Dr. Tim, um, we're so excited to have him on today. Uh, uh, he's very fluent with the language of Russellian science. And uh, we look forward to him taking us on the ultimate journey of how the cosmic drama of creation is played. Walter Russell presented humanity with perhaps the most in-depth understanding of the original sacred geometry. And Dr. Binder's brilliant work in The Wave Lies the Secret of Creation is a composite of Russell's original paintings portraying a visual interpretation of the Russellian cosmogony. Here at Alpha Vedic, we perceive the study of wave geometry as the missing link within conventional science and are deeply honored to have Dr. Binder on joining us today as we anticipate this very enlightening conversation. How are you guys doing today, Bear? How are you today? I'm doing great and uh, welcome, Dr. Tim. I'm really excited to have a good conversation with you today. You know, I've been aware of your work for a number of years, your brilliant book, and uh, you know, really excited because I don't get the opportunity to talk to a fellow uh, naturopath, chiropractor, acupuncturist, which is my background too. Uh, I started in uh, conventional medicine for five years before I jumped into naturopathy, but don't hold that against me. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, uh, similar to you also, I found, uh, you know, Walter Russell became an avid student. And uh, Walter Russell, uh, to me, created that bridge, you know, that I was looking for and, and gave my left analytical brain, uh, you know, an understanding so that I, it was on the same page with what I already knew on other levels. So uh, uh, just welcome and, and thanks so much for making time for us today. And, um, you know, we can talk about Walter Russell um, uh, you know, we can talk about, uh, you know, how it applies or maybe how you've applied to it to uh, practice uh, of, you know, healthcare. Um, you know, I've, I've found a lot of practical strategies to really incorporate it into my work. And I'd love to know, you know, more about, uh, you know, how, how you've accommodated the teachings as well into your work. And, um, you know, to me, Walter Russell is really the missing link, uh, you know, that I think uh, the scientific community 
needs to be aware of these days. So please, we, uh, we're informal here. Just take the conversation wherever you'd like, and uh, we're just delighted to have you. So thanks so much. Uh, well, thank you, and I'm so, so uh, pleased and honored to be here and to be able to talk to you all about Walter Russell and uh, his whole science. Uh, <clears throat> Russell always pointed out that uh, when science and spirituality would meet, that uh, we would advance, as I think uh, Nikola Tesla, who was a friend of Russell's also, said that uh, uh, science and spirituality needed to join together. And that might be a good place to even ask ourselves, well, what does that mean? What does it mean uh, uh, that science and religion uh, should join? Well, I'd say in the past, the ancients, at least the enlightened ancients, they had a cosmogony and a spirituality that were one. And in uh, uh, Russell's cosmogony, he really starts off as, as I show in, in In the Way, when I start off with showing comparison between uh, uh, <coughs> conventional science, at, at least at his time, and uh, uh, Russellian cosmogony, he said the, the big thing that's missing in science is it takes the creator out of creation and in a sense i would say a real way easy way to understand that is to think of our science still really looks at the our consciousness that matter creates our consciousness it's kind of like they look at Consciousness is an epiphenomena of a fortuitous concourse of atoms running around in our brain. And I'd say there is a connection between our bodily sensed awareness, which Russell talked about, and that the pineal gland is the seat of severance of bodily uh, sensed awareness, and our consciousness, but we are not just our bodies and we're not limited to them even though at this stage of most of our development or most of humanity we are not aware that we're not our bodies and it's really consciousness creates matter not matter creating consciousness and i could jump right into say genesis in the bible where it said in the beginning there was the void well there was the one there was and is and shall be the, the creator of the universe who you could say wasn't thinking at the time. And um, then it says God spoke. Uh, it said there was the void. God spoke and creation appeared. Well, what is creation but thought in motion? And when you have motion, you have frequency and vibration and that's what creation is it's all frequency vibration and its genesis is the thought of the creator and we uh go back to the bible as the uh in, created in the image of the creator we have that potential within each human being and so I'd say that's a way to begin to consider 
what is a union of science and uh, spirituality is to bring the creator back into the creation instead of trying to well i would say the lower consciousness level of the planet and those that are in c control of the communications and educations they took that low road and it's false and a way to describe i always tell people that the whole basis of our science all of it which russell shows and in the wave the book i go into showing all the ways that he shows that it's incorrect it's not true and our medical science the same thing and there are examples i can think of uh, four contemporary contemporary examples of human beings that prove that it is wrong one of them uh, he's no longer with us was a coptic priest that i knew from egypt hamid bay who uh leo russell and hamid bay had lots of conversations together and he uh hamid bay uh gave some of his uh, classes with uh his uh, uh followers on atomic suicide that's kind of an aside but anyhow hamid bay would be buried underground and i knew the man who was his his uh, assistant for years that would dig the hole and bury him and dig him up at the right time and he traveled around the country it was ralph martin who was on the board of governors of the american chiropractic association and he traveled around uh, the country for a year with hamid bay and paramahansa yogananda the great indian yogi and uh, he he dug the grave buried him dug him up so he was buried underground he did not breathe he did kachari mudra where the tongue goes back up and seals off any passageway down into your lungs like in the desert you could be buried and then insects etc wouldn't be going down inside your lungs or your your internal organs and uh, his longest burial was for a week in beirut so he didn't wow. breathe for a week wow and I tell people, this just proves that the old biblical saying, man does not live by bread alone, but by the Spirit of God. And it disproves all of our science. Shows that at least, if you don't want to call it disproving it, it shows that it's woefully ignorant of the potential of a human being and the fact that human consciousness is, we're way more than we know we are at this stage, most of us in our evolution. That's one example. Contemporary, other contemporary that are living examples would be like uh, uh, Dr. Joe Dispenza, who you all and some of your listeners and may be aware of. He oh, was yeah. a chiropractor and a, a bike racer came around a, uh, in a bike race and hit a truck and broke his neck, was a total paraplegic and told that his life was over. He said, I don't like this. I don't, all I have is my mind. He was totally healed through the, I'll say through the mind and the spirit, through his effort, his own efforts. He did it, which is like what Jesus said, the things that I do, you will do, and even greater. He did it. He's perfectly healed. No medic, nothing done medically, which would say, well, medicine doesn't know about this, so it, he showed him right there. That's another example. Uh, Wim Hof, the Iceman, injected with uh, 
uh, E. coli, and in 15 seconds killed it. You can go look him up on the internet and see him in Holland where he went into the hospital to have this done. Uh, Therese Newman, the Catholic stigmatist uh, who doesn't eat. Yogananda, in his book, uh, The Autobiography of a Yogi, uh, he talks about Jiribala in India, this Indian yogini, female saint that he met, met who uh, she didn't eat and who was studied by Hamaraja in India in the late, late 1800s, I think, and uh, locked her in a room to, he challenged her, he wanted to see if it was true and for a month and she didn't eat or drink anything. So those are people that demonstrate what Christ said to us and show us that our science is woefully ignorant. And Walter Russell demonstrated this with all of his science from scientific uh, jargon, I would say, <laughs> and language. And then as I brought out in the beginning of In the Wave Lies the Secret of Creation, I said, I think one thing I can do to help get the Russell message out, putting all of his science in one volume, which was what I did with it, because you'd have to study so many things. Uh, the, you'd have to study the secret of light in the wave lies, uh, uh, the uh, home study course, atomic suicide, a new concept of the universe. So I did everything I could to put it in one volume. And then I added an understanding of language mechanics, which the Russells weren't explicitly aware of. They did a pretty good job, but when I had first studied the Russells' work, I came up across what I then later noticed other people did, where we had a little dissonance, like when they would say, there's, the universe is founded upon love, nothing, there's no, no, no evil, there's only good. And then they talk about good and evil. And I'd say, well, hold on here a minute. And I realized because I already had an understanding of language mechanics that I'd gotten from Scudder Kleiss, which I tell people in the book, in the wave, I say, this is where I got the idea. And the Russells used the lever as the simplest machine in all of their teachings. And the lever has three aspects to it. And language has three aspects. There's three types of words. I go into this in some detail on about the first 12 pages of In the Wave, so people can get a grasp of how the language machine works and that with a misunderstanding, and I think it's been used deliberately uh, to confuse people, uh, but once you understand how the, the machine works, you will never be confused by anybody else's speech, nor will you confuse anybody deliberately or ignorantly even, and if you do, then you already don't understand the language machine anymore. <laughs> and, uh, but anyhow, there are three types of words. One words is talk about, say, the whole lever. You know, you got a stick or a bar, you only have a lever when you put a fulcrum under it. And now you have two extensions of the bar. The fulcrum, the two extensions, the bar, that is the one, the whole thing. The two extensions are like yin and yang, male-female opposites, compression, expansion, all of the, the various polarities that Russell shows so skillfully. And 
the fulcrum is relationship. And when you see that there are one words, many words, and relationship words, and understand that any of, any of these three types of words, every word can be used as any of the three types, depending on the context. And if you're aware of this, then you would be aware of it when you're speaking a sentence, a par writing a paragraph, uh, <clears throat> so that you don't confuse the one with many, the many with the one, relationship with one or many, and <clears throat> but you have to see them in their context. And that is a biggie because all kinds of people will get into all kinds of discussions and arguments because they're both speaking using a word maybe as a many word where the other person is using it as a one word <laughs> and they don't just realize that and uh anyhow so i've said a whole bunch there and i i'd like to hear well yeah dr tim in your book you do a good job of explaining um the one versus the many and you actually capitalize it right when it's the one yep. uh, and and so by the one what we mean is the ever-present light of the creator right it's the fulcrum it's the the constant right and then it's everything it's not just the fulcrum or the the constant i would say it the the non-paradox of the one and the many is that the, all three aspects are real all at the same time yes yeah, so so um, I was just going to bring it back very real quick to the good and bad because this the evil and good stuff because this came up uh, like on a conversation we had uh, uh, on our telegram this week and mm -hmm. we were discussing good versus evil and dualism and uh, how, you know, essentially uh, the idea of the Gnostics saying that this reality was hacked and um, that evil came in and it used to be all good and I was arguing, well, I think when you have a dual this universe has always been dualistic we'll always have good and evil but also there's an ever present um constant that is just light which i guess you call just as good and that's basically russellian in concept right i mean what's your viewpoint there well i would say on you know with good and evil you were born to discriminate you were created to discriminate and god created the devil in a sense because otherwise we wouldn't have had free will. And as a having free will, you always choose between, I'll use the word good and evil. Whether you want to use that word or not, you were born to discriminate. So discrimination means a choice between at least uh, what's better, good, better, best, if you would. <clears throat> but we could say good and evil. And uh, I think it was Edgar Cayce, uh, could have been him where I got this. Then in the beginning, the God, the one, the many <coughs> relationship, the whole thing created us like trillions of sparks. We had light bodies and we could roam the universe at will and experience it. And some of us, I wanted to know what it was to sail a ship through a hurricane. And I said, wow, that's me. I understand that real well. And so I'd say, we all bit the apple. We're all, in a sense, fallen beings. And we're on our journey back to the one. And all the brotherhoods uh, throughout 
uh, all of our records, they all have very similar methods, and I've studied several of them, so I'm saying that from some experience, of how do we reunite ourselves into the one. And, but in the sense that God had to create this opposite force, otherwise, we, it's like, which side are you on? Otherwise, you would have been a robot. I would have been a robot. We would not have had any free will. And the Russells point out, we have free will for one half of the cycle. We can choose our action. We can't choose the reaction, which is universal law. And you only break yourself if you try and break universal law. You can't break them. And so we could say that uh, if I choose rhythmic balanced interchange, I've chosen the good, the one that is uh, where we'd say there's no evil. And if I choose to try and break the law and just break myself, then I have chosen evil. And I will pay a consequence either way, and that's how I learn. We either learn through our choices of thought and action through uh, sorrow and uh, pain and suffering or happiness and uh, illumination. So there is, a, there is good and evil, and at the same time, this whole universe is founded upon, as the Russells said, the love principle of rhythmic balanced interchange. And we can choose, because we were given free will, to choose imbalance if we wish, but in a sense, we really can't even uh, break the balance that is in the whole creation. But we will break ourselves, and we create misery for ourselves and others that don't know the law either. And if that maybe sheds a little light on this whole uh, concept of good and evil, and I know the Gnostic teachings, I would say my understanding of them would be that they were uh, synonymous to what the Russells were saying even. And that there is, there is the, uh, and that was, there was this fall. I think it was Sophia or whatever that uh, uh, in their teachings and uh, which would be that I want to see what it's like to sail a ship through a hurricane and I'm going, I chose, and this is where we were all fallen, uh, to experience that. And, uh, but at the same time, the whole universe is based on rhythmic balanced interchange and even this relative universe, not just the void. It's based on rhythmic balanced interchange, which is love principle in action. But you don't have love principle in action without an opposite. So, Dr. Tim, real quick, just to comment on um, mm -hmm. uh, when you're talking about the fulcrum, because, you know, that's basically the whole ball of wax right there. Sure. And it's interesting. You say it all boils down to that, because I always say there's basically three types of thinkers. In other words, what is your what is my reality? What is your reality? And I would say I'm I think I'm more like the common person which sees the one as their reality. And in uh, 
two issues of fulcrum, I went into contrasting traditional natural medicine versus modern allopathic. And I used this uh, one relationship in the whole language mechanics to show that. And I would say that uh, the mystics, mystics see the one as their reality. A materialistic scientist sees the many, keeps analyzing, breaking into parts, never can really sum into a whole one, which would be the uniting of science and spirituality. And then there's that oddball type of guy who sees the fulcrum as the whole ball of wax in their reality, we call a <laughs> philosopher. <laughs> and so you may be a philosopher, the philosopher is your one, relationship is your one, then you're more like a philosopher. I and, have been accused of that. Yeah. <laughs> and I always just go back, they're all real, all at the same time. Uh, the one is real, uh, the, the many is real, and relationship is real, and they're all real together all at the very same time. But we do all have a particular way where we tend to see this is how I view the world. And this is, uh, part of this would be coming aware of, I always tell people, if you really want to know what's happening in our world right now, you know, with all of the, what, all the apparent chaos, which Rossellian science helps us understand that too. But you have to examine, I have to examine my own bias, which is how do I look at the world, which mostly comes from, until I become aware, it comes from my background, my cultural background, my terrain, whatever I grew up with. And I have to recognize that is a bias and to go beyond it is the first stage is to recognize you have it. And then if you have it, like if I want to have a dialogue with you and Mike, anybody, I have to listen to what the other person says. With us, it's easy because we were really vibrating, resonating on the same frequency. But when you get somebody that it's not that way, uh, like if I were to try and talk to... Uh, I would say an Antifa uh, supporter right now. Uh, I would be challenged, but I've programmed myself. I would listen. I want to hear what the other side might say. I don't care how antagonistic it seems. And try and find a common ground because I figure there is some if I can understand where this person is coming from. And that doesn't mean I won't discriminate. And then once I would listen to them, I would ask them, well, do you now want to hear my comments on what you've said? And if they do, okay. Now, most of what I hear on that I see go, happening now, that person like Antifa, they don't want to hear what I say about what they even said. So then there's no dialogue. You can't have a dialogue that way. You have to listen to the other person. And this is where I say, I really don't argue because I always learn from everybody. I'm not there to try and necessarily prove my point. I will make my points, but I'm willing to change if they can show me. And I always learn something from everybody. 
So even my own viewpoint is always in a state of constant change. And this is where I'd say, I think the creator or creation is constant. It's an open-ended circuit, open-ended system, I mean. Uh, God is constantly cr creating something totally new. It's infinitely, all, in, all possibilities are on, on the table. <laughs> and uh, so, um, yeah, the, but the fulcrum is uh, like the, when I was president running the university for nine years, we had a newsletter called the fulcrum. And uh, <clears throat> because that is such an important concept in Russell's work. And, uh, and I could say, yeah, I can see where you say it kind of boils down to that's the whole ball of wax. You have the fulcrum, which <laughs> creates the divisions and the two sides, you know, the, the bar magnet, the two sides of the hemispheres of our brain, which uh, <laughs> Matt Presti so brilliantly illustrates to people in his, his talks. So, well, I'll listen to you some more now. <laughs> well, I, I have another, uh, just a question, you know, the good and evil concept, of course, we extend that to biology as well when we talk about pathogens and contagions. And of course, that's very relevant uh -huh. with what's going on today. And in bioterrain medicine, I have a whole different way of, uh, of looking at that. But uh, how would you discuss that? I'm sure the same as yours. I'm very aware of... Antoine Beauchamp and uh, uh, Claude Bernard and Gustav Enderlein. And I always tell people, uh, I have proof. I have absolute proof if, well, here's, if you want to say absolute proof, I have proof of a conspiracy in medicine. I have proof of a conspiracy in science and technology. After Chernobyl blew up, I published a book of 43 free energy patents kept from the public. And I got out when I was a student at Western States Chiropractic College. I knew an old doc who gave me a reprint from the Journal of the Franklin Institute that the uh, Lee Foundation for Nutritional Research, Royal Lee, who started Standard Process Laboratories, had reprinted. And it's called The New Microscopes uh, about Royal Raymond Rife's work. And uh, uh, so I got that to some of my patients, and I knew Michio Kushi, who was the East Coast uh, macrobiotic uh, leader. I had corresponded with George Osawa. I'm an old macrobiotic from way back, uh, very broad now, but I figure the principles are very relevant. And I knew Herman Ihara, the West Coast uh, macrobiotic leader. Anyhow, uh, Michio's group, they did, had the uh, East-West Journal, they did investigative journalism article about Royal Raymond Rife, and that got everybody looking at Rife's work, which you're, I'm sure you're familiar with. And yeah, the terrain is everything. And to make it real simple, uh, there's a book by Elizabeth Hume called Pasteur versus Beauchamp, and she pointed out that uh, Beauchamp, who was not only a medical doctor at the time, he was a professor of chemistry, he was a physicist, he had a lot of degrees. And Pasteur was a mediocre science uh, chemist, and uh, Beauchamp was a professor of chemistry as well. But uh, what Beauchamp said was, the well, Pasteur would plagiarize 
what uh, Beauchamp wrote, which was in the French Academy of Sciences, and to make it real simple, about a month after he'd write an article, Pasteur would, and plagiarize it. And to make it real simple, Pasteur said, well, you got a specific microorganism, I, I just say, I'm gonna call it a germ, bugs, viruses, bacteria, whatever, and those are the enemy, and you get rid of that, you kill the bug with chemicals, he had the ear of the emperor of France, who probably owned all the chemical industries at the time. Then you get rid of the bugs. So thus, that was a foundation for then uh, um, JD, John D. Rockefeller to come along in the 19, early 1900s and really establish modern medicine based on petroleum distillates. But uh, what Beauchamp showed was the terrain is everything, like you said, the bioterrain, and the what we call a pathogen is the life force in the body, particles he called microsome. I won't go into that much, other than to say that the the body, the terrain changes, and what we call a pathogen appears from what we would not call pathogens as a attempt to reassert balance and health in the body. And I, I use the example of say strep or staph, I look at major garbage cleaners. And once they've cleaned up the garbage, they will go away on there, they will transform, transmute, change form. You won't see strep or staph anymore. But they're there for a reason. And like if you get a, a boil, say a staph infection and get over it on your own, it's not going to come back, uh, and you'll feel good. Carl Johnson, MD, the head of the Colorado Department of Health, way back in the 70s, before I left because of the nuclear monster that, you know, that had an accident there and moved to Montana, um, he had an article. I cut it out. I still got it. It was in the Denver Post, I think, or the Rocky Mountain News. It said strep outbreak feared. And he said, if you get over it, if you take antibiotics, it's going to come back again. And if you get over it on your own, it won't. And I thought, my God, can I believe what I read? He actually said this? Because there he admitted that, in a sense, he was proving what Beauchamp said. The terrain is everything. Change the terrain. In other words, it's mea culpa, Latin for my sin. I missed the mark. I'm out of balance. I need to reestablish balance within my cell structure, which, of course, the outside world just makes it a big challenge because each year it gets worse and worse for us. But still, it's we need to balance our biome. The 19th century cranker tells us tried to tell us about the microbiome and that's what i was just bringing this up because yeah just, just so you know um dr minor we've covered we've done a whole two-part series on antoine bichamp versus posture and uh our, i don't need to say any more than <laughs> and uh what's funny is i just found this wired magazine hit piece on bichamp and it says um basically um French chemist Antoine Bichamp was a lifelong rival, the great, the great microbiologist yeah, Louis right. Pasteur. 
Pasteur invented pasteurization and vaccines for rabies and anthrax yes. and discovered that many diseases are caused by invisible germs. Bichamp was a bitter crank who argued that microbes became dangerous when the health of the host, its terrain or environment deteriorated. And he was comprehensively wrong. Um, so you see how we, they, we literally have, quote unquote, science today, which as Matt Presti so brilliantly explained on our last podcast with them, only gets the one half of the, the death cycle, right? Yep. How, how it is currently being used today, even with hit pieces by Wired Magazine, which by the way, when our, my first child was taken to, when we were first, my wife and I, you know, when you first have your first kid, you're like, oh, we better go to the, the correct um, pediatrician and get the, do get all the, the right steps. Well, no, 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 not the vaccines. No, 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 no. We're smart in that. But still, we had to have the pediatrician to get the checkups. And so she was like, well, you're going to vaccinate, right? And I said, well, no, we're not. And she said, so what did she do? She's like, well, let me give you. And she was like the most open-minded in our LA area, right? But she's like, well, I need to give you these this information on vaccines and yeah. um, and what did she give us? She gave us Wired magazine articles. Yeah, and, yep. and she gave us print out of Wired magazine articles. I said, do you realize this is a corporately owned, um, um, you know, periodical or whatever that is not based in real science that is owned by corporations that have direct ties to the petrochemical companies and the blah 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 that are behind the vaccines. The vaccines, yep. She was just like, okay, you're a you're sounding like a conspiracy theorist, and I said, well. <laughs> You can call me whatever you want, but um, if you can actually get me a real PubMed, PubMed articles or articles that actually definitively prove that the double placebo blind study has been done on vaccines and blah, 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 you know, and of course that those don't exist. So anyways, um, I just felt that it was funny to bring up this. I just did one quick little search on the Bichamp Pasteur and we get the, the 19th century crank. Um, so yeah, I've seen that. I've seen that article too. And I don't know. I think I told you, you, I had the first case in history ever to sue the drug companies for vaccine-induced brain injury in 1974. And I tell, uh, I tell the story of that in my book that I published after 9-11, which I predicted was going to happen. I didn't know the exact date, but I knew it was going to happen soon at the World Trade Center. Wow. And when it did, I have a big history in working with treating people with bio-war diseases. But in 1974, parents brought in a 14-month-old baby girl that was given two months to live. They said she'd die. They had to feed her with a tube. She was totally autistic. She was a basket case. Happened after she got her second set of vaccines. And they called it an idiopathic brain disease, meaning we don't know what caused it. And I said... This is the vaccines that did it. And I treated her with, my, I'll put it in quotes, my quack medicine, homeopathy and herbal medicine for the vaccines. <laughs> Within a month, uh, she was eating without the tube. And the last contact I had with the parents and her, she was seven years of age. Nobody would recognize there was ever anything the matter with her. She was fine in school, no longer autistic. So I've got a, a very practical background there. And I also dealt with, when I first came to Montana, uh, Willy Bergdorfer from Germany was heading up our, we have a bio level, level four, BSL level four uh, lab right here in Hamilton. And the Rocky Mountain Labs was the, the precursor of that when I came up here and Bergdorfer was running it. 
and you can get a, a, a book now called Bitten by Chris Newsby, who had Lyme's disease, and she interviewed uh, Bergdorfer on his deathbed, and he spilled the beans. And yes, he was working with the Department of Defense and some aspect of the military in developing biowar. And Lyme's disease was a biowar created uh, critter. It's a gain of function, they call it, taken normally what we call a pathogen, which we went into. There is a, it's not really, if you really understand Beauchamp's work, there's a whole different way of looking at it. But they still, they do work on creating biowar diseases with gain of function. And Lyme's disease is, I will call it biowar weaponized syphilis. It's a spirochete, just like syphilis. And uh, so I had to treat all kinds of people from that and another lab, private lab here, Ribby, that was also doing that research work, which is all illegal by international law. They get around it by saying, we're just trying to come up with vaccines and stuff mm -hmm. to create, to treat it. But anyhow, I had patients coming in from both labs. I don't know who patient zero was. They said, we heard you can help us. We get sick. It gets out in the environment. Nobody can talk about it. And we can't be helped. Nobody can help us in traditional medicine, but we heard you can. And of course I did. So I developed a big knowledge about this, treating people here for years. And uh, that's where was kind of those two experiences were kind of the genesis of my book, Big Medicine, Health Defense Handbook for War Defense, Biochem, Nuke, and Everyday Infections. <laughs> love it. Man, you'll, you'd love our podcast. Uh, we did a whole uh, episode on Lyme disease and uh, Dr. Bear's own personal journey healing himself from that. Ah, you had it too. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I, oh, you did, Dr. Tim? No, I just said you did, huh? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah you know, I was uh, always extremely healthy and, and interestingly, I was uh, treating ongoing cases very successfully of Lyme's and then uh, same thing happened to me, little, got the whole bullseye thing and everything. Yeah. And, uh, you know, my life was kind of turned upside down for a while because I'd never been sick. I was always, a, you know, a jock and, you know, athletic. <laughs> and, uh, you know, people say, well, how did you beat it? And it's, uh, well, I didn't beat anything. I just kind of came to peace with it. And, you know, I had a whole bioterrain uh, system of treating other people. But when it came to my own uh, body, I just, uh, it, it was interesting because I just realized I had to dig a little deeper. So I have my own personal practice, which I won't go into. But I went into uh, very extended states where I would just um, connect in a certain way. And then the symptoms would abate. And then I noticed that... Um, I, you know, because the symptoms were very uh, dramatic, you know, paralysis of an entire side of my body, uh, mm -hmm. loss of speech because I'd lose, um, you know, the ability to even uh, control my, my lip and my jaw muscles to, to talk and eat. And, and, and I could go on and on, uh, loss of vision, all, all sorts of crazy stuff. But then when I'd go into these uh, states within my practice, I'd have the realization that, wow, the symptoms are gone. But then all of a sudden, as soon as I had that realization, I, you know, uh, I, I figured out that it brought me immediately back into the symptoms because once again, I was acknowledging, you know, whatever I perceived the problem to be in the first place. So I had to go to a place where not only uh, could I make that connection that I just, 
you know, it's, it's hard to articulate because it's more on a feeling level. And, uh, you know, but then I also realized I couldn't even acknowledge that, oh, I feel better or the symptoms are gone because that would bring it right back. But I had a, a lot of uh, uh, Lyme's people, a lot of uh, vaccine damaged kids, you know, uh, uh, that we treated with a lot of great success. And, um, but anyway, uh, that's just my personal story. Yeah, I, I have been there. I always kind of tongue in cheek tell wow. people I have a PhD in Lyme's disease. Wow. Well, your story fits. I'll, I'll add you to the four that I talked about that demonstrate our science <laughs> is not right. You did the, You've done it. You did what mm -hmm. Joe Dispenza did. You did what uh, Wim Hof's done. And the Russells talked about Mary Baker Eddy. Christian science is another example. Yeah. And you're, well, you're, you're, yeah. you're I'm going to add you to my list of people that I talk about now. Well, you know, it's, um, it's, it's kind of interesting because even though my vocation has been medicine and, and leaving no stone unturned as far as, you know, learning all mm -hmm. the disciplines, um, I have this ambivalence because another part of me uh, really doesn't believe in the need for doctors. And I've had many people over the years that, you know, were my clients and, and otherwise it just asked me, well, who do you see for your health care or who fixes you? And I, my comment was always, well, it never occurs to me to go somewhere outside of myself or to see somebody. It's just something I realize I've got to deal with. You know, I, I put the things in motion and, mm -hmm. and, you know, nobody else can fix it for me. And I realized that my role as a, as a physician is uh, really to create a window of opportunity, so to speak with, uh, you know, all the, the modalities that I've learned uh, to just give that person a, uh, you know, uh, a, a chance for light bulbs to come on. You know, I believe that medicine really should be a tool to uh, create that bridge between spirit and matter. So for my own body, it wasn't about taking stuff or going somewhere. It was just about going inside and dealing with it. Well, we have been on such parallel paths. It's amazing because everything you said, I would I've echo that. And I've treated myself and my family for years, of course, with herbs and homeopathic medicines and have questioned the whole thing of, well, 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 I've always talked to patients. I will say, well, look at, sure, there's a people that'll say, well, I'm going to pray over my food. That's, that's all I need to do, you know, or whatever. I say, sure, that helps to, to pray over your food and be positive. But I said, at the same time, you need to prove to yourself, for instance, uh, if you're going to say you can eat and drink anything, it doesn't make any difference. I, I can go down and eat crap food, you know. Well, why don't you do this? I knew Jack Schwartz. I don't know if you ever knew Jack Schwartz. And uh, he uh, and I, I wasn't there with there. He was with seven doctors one, at one time. He was a French Jew who uh, not French. He was a. Uh, Dutch and tortured by the Nazis in World War II. I won't go into much of his story, but he's in the encyclopedias. He was studied at the Menninger Foundation, kind of a modern day yogi. And uh, uh, he only ate once a week because his family said, you've got to eat something and uh, just to satisfy them. And uh, 
the doctors with him when he took a four-fifths of whiskey, upended the bottle, poured it down him without stopping, did nothing to him. And I tell people, well, Jesus changed the water into the wine. Jack changed the, the scotch into water. If you can change, if you can drink a bottle of whiskey, even just a pint, and not have it do anything to you, you can eat or drink anything you want. <laughs> and uh, But until then, you are under certain natural laws that you must obey. And you only can, uh, you can't break them, but you can go beyond them, which is what you did in curing yourself and what we've been talking about. And as a physician, I still feel perfectly fine with prescribing herbal and homeopathic remedies while I'm encouraging the person to look at how did they cause this? Because it did start with thought and then action and recognize I have to obey the universal laws of creation. If that kind of resonates. And, uh, but yes, uh, ultimately, but I don't see uh, Joe Dispenza, Wim Hof, um, say flying through the air. Levitation is possible. And I know people who have done that. I st studied Aikido and Karate with uh, Frank Goody many, many decades ago before I went off to my medical schooling. And he was Ukita Washaba, the old man in Japan. He had so many different black belts. And I asked him once, well, have you ever levitated? He didn't bat an eye. He says, oh, yeah. He says, when, and when in Japan, they told him that if he wanted to really focus on developing those physical um, Shakti's uh, powers, the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali talks about the chakras and the powers within each, that he'd probably do it better than anybody else. But he said, I wanted to be a teacher so I didn't spend all that time, but he said, like with, with the old man who started Aikido, he said, most, he was uki, which is a, an honor. You get to practice in private. You're his punching bag, so to speak. And he said with him, most of the time, his feet, you could always up, slide a stick under his feet. He was elevated off in the air most of the time. And, wow. uh, and he said he had. And but we have all of these potential powers, but even if you have some of them, like you demonstrated, you probably don't yet fly in the air, but you can. <laughs> yeah, and, and mainstream physics would say that's impossible because of gravity, and so then they come up with these ideas of anti-gravity, but with Dr. Russell's uh, um, you know, new physics, uh, basically he's... Um, uh, been able to explain how what gravity is and and the two wave uh the two-way wave of uh radiation uh that radiation. balances it yeah compression generation radiation and generation yeah the two-way and it's all movement either to the center of the system so, or away so dr tim uh you know i've been around a few characters that did pretty amazing things as well some uh, old teachers that took me under their wing but um i have my own ideas about things but how would you explain something like levitation in walter russell understanding well 
I would say you you had mastered the ability to change the whole um, gravitative radiative field of your own body within the gravitative radiative field of the earth and it would be to try and use a colloquialism maybe say creating a force field that is uh the the radiative force field to uh uh overcome the compressive field that's pushing you into the earth and i know hamid bay the coptic priest that i mentioned in his one of his books called uh, the um, let's see the the power of your mind versus fear which he wrote after world war ii because there was so much fear in the world and he talks once in the temples when he was a, a young man and all of his students the master said we're gonna have a special demonstration today they all went into meditation and spontaneously they all opened their eyes at the same time and he's floating in the air and then he went on to describe that the human body the mind is capable of reversing the polarity so that's not i haven't given you anything uh that you could uh do other than to meditate on that and everything we've been talking about and i would also put out the caveat that uh, the yoga sutras i think even patanjali said don't get hung up on the cities that's the word i was looking for these demonstrations of of uh, of powers that are in the various chakras because that's not the real goal and like yogananda in his autobiography he went and studied with all these yogis who could do these miraculous things including dematerializing one guy they lock him in jail and they could because he was going naked in the village and he'd be back out on the streets he'd just <laughs> walk right out of the jail and but yogananda realized that he'd met all of these yogis that did these things but that was not the real goal which i think patanjali warns against don't just get hung up on the cities and developing these powers and i know my daughter who attended uh, joe dispenza one of his seminars and uh, she realized that he actually was saying this too in the meditations that he encourages people to have to overcome their illness to not just get hung up on that which you were saying too and uh, you did the same thing and i know uh, one of my patients his daughter who became a his daughter became a patient of my daughter she had diabetes and she went to dispenses uh, seminars and she no longer takes any insulin again another demonstration and up until then i'd say hey insulin kept her alive <laughs> even give the devil his due the pharmaceutical medicine well that's a that's a big one because i've i've got i've said that on twitter before and gotten railed on i said you can my whole supposition is you can heal from anything anything yeah. 
And someone said, well, about diabetes, you know, um, one or, you know, where you, you have the physical inability to create insulin. I said, that's BS. And they said, well, it's genetic. And I said, no, it's not. And, and you can, you can fix that. And, and, uh, I was getting railed in by, you know, the more mainstream kind of uh, materialists, but, um, what is your uh, theory there in terms of, I wanted to do a whole show on this, but what is your theory there and what's happening and, and how that physically is able to happen? Uh, do you have any ideas there, Dr. Vine? Well, well, first of all, the person that told you it's genetic was in error. Uh, diabetes is not necessarily a genetic, they're trying to say everything's a genetic problem and we're going to fix it with genetic therapies. But no, it's the pancreas, uh, the islet cells of the pancreas are not creating insulin anymore. And they've been actually destroyed. And if you, once you put a person on insulin, theoretically, they say that really wrecks any possibility of the islet cells regenerating. But that's not even true. And it all comes back to mind controls consciousness controls uh, matter. And but first of all, they were wrong just saying it's a genetic disease and you can't change genes. Yes, you can. You can regenerate genes. And I would even say that it's possible for me to change my, my genes. Uh, theoretically, I could make myself a, a, a Negro to have more melanin producing uh, cells in my skin. Interesting. And vice versa. But that's just the programming that that person has, which we all came up with. I grew up under that same programming. I believed in modern medicine until I had experiences that uh, I could look at as were a blessing. I did learn that it was my, every, all, I was a hunchback at one time. And I have an absolutely, if you could see me, I'm just somewhere between 5'11 and 6 feet, weigh when I'm lucky about 150 pounds. I'm less than two years from being 80. I still have, um, I had very dark hair and I've got gray some in it now, but I'm not totally white at all. And I'm absolutely erect and very flexible. I can do things that kids in grade school can't do. And I developed a whole system of physical education I call position technique, the science of centering. That's a new yoga. And I look, I look at the spine should be capable of being absolutely straight and also capable of going into all kinds of curves. And, but <clears throat> like, in meditation, the Russells talked about the pineal glands as seat of severance to bodily consciousness. In the meditation techniques, four of them, four or five of them, I think it's five actually that I've studied, they all have one very similar thing and it is ultimately exiting through the pineal gland. And a straight spine allows the kundalini energy to raise up it's blocked by our three curves brace mechanics. And we don't realize, though I show it in my book, here's the mechanics of the erect human. 
suspension mechanics, like a suspension bridge, like a tensegrity mass via Buckminster Fuller. And this should be in our school system as basic physical education, a new yoga. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, back a uh, <clears throat> uh, long time ago when I was uh, studying martial arts, I was uh, made aware of an individual from the old country. He was uh, from a monk in the, in the Far East. And anyway, um, <clears throat> I heard that he was uh, teaching these special techniques now as, you know, competing and full mm -hmm. contact, uh, you know, fighting and things. So I thought, okay, I'm going to go to this guy and, you know, learn us new devastating techniques for competition. But anyway, the first thing he did is he sat me down and uh, gave me a point to meditate on. And then of course he left the room and about an hour later he came in. And by that time I'm all fidgety and wondering what the hell am I doing here in the first place? So anyway, uh, uh, long story short, you know, he uh, just helped me uh, tune into all the points and it was a microcosmic orbit. And then we went more advanced from there. But it was the best thing that ever happened to me, uh, which I, in turn, uh, you know, taught my kids when they were young. And, uh, you know, as far as uh, keeping your, your spine in healthy order and, and so forth, it, it gets to be so automatic that when you just run the energy, you can even, uh, you know, just listen when, you know, like when I'm doing it, you can actually audibly hear verte vertebral segments uh, adjusting and straightening out. So... Uh, you know, there's no imagination that something physical is really happening. And then, of course, when we're taking the energy from the, the lower centers and then applying that awareness and running that energy, uh, you know, through the orbits. Uh, and anyway, the point I'm making is this is so fundamental. Uh, it, it should be, you know, the first part of physical education that we should learn in grade school. Yep, exactly. Well, and it's where the Kundalini comes through, which is taught in yoga and in Qigong and all that. It's very fundamental to, you know, all, all those uh, practices. So, um, uh, you know, one thing that was interesting when I was talking to you, Dr. Tim, yesterday on your landline is you said that you have never owned a cell phone. And, Correct. And you still don't to this day, which is Correct. remarkable considering it's 2020 and uh, <laughs> it's uh, pretty hard to access a lot of things these days unless they make, you know, they've really done a great job of putting us into the digital gulags, <laughs> I call, but you've managed to uh, stay away from that, which is very impressive. Um, and um, what is your rationale behind that? And um, what, uh, you know, we talk a lot about on the show about the dangers of man-made electromagnetic frequencies, radiation. Um, how would you, um, is, I mean, is this the main reason why you've stayed away from owning cell phone? Do you have Wi-Fi in your house? Uh, and uh, what are some, some modalities, solutions that you implement in, uh, for protecting yourself against these things? Or, or even do you, do you feel that these are even something to worry about? Oh, yeah. Uh, I do not, I've never had a cell phone, even though I could have invested and made millions and millions of dollars when one of my patients at the time had the Reaper newsletter and he was already, he was a multimillionaire and <clears throat> told all of his readers invest in cell phones. And I said, I know this technology is very dangerous because I already understood enough of Russell's principles, 
principles of electricity period and dirty electricity, clean electricity, cell phones. And uh, so I didn't because I, I didn't want to put any money in something that I knew was destructive. And there's tons and tons of research, evidence, explanations from electrical science that you can still get, even though it's being harder and harder to access it, because access this because we're in a great battle right now to totally uh, control the information that people can get. But anybody can look up if, and go and dig, they will find tons of information that is extremely dangerous in the 5G and the 4G are worse than the three and the two and the one, but even the one G there, it's all not good. And I have never, I did have, because until, I don't know, maybe 15 years ago, took me to wake up enough to realize that Wi-Fi was even bad. And, uh, and that I had a uh, portable phone in the house, you know, and that turns your whole home into a cell phone tower. So <clears throat> I got rid of, uh, you know, the portable phone. And uh, practicing as a physician, I didn't really need a cell phone. And I still, I tell all of my patients, well, if you just figure you cannot get rid of it, at least never use it up against your head, put it on speakerphone, keep it away from your body. And when you're carrying it, keep it in a separate a bag and keep it away from yourself better yet get a blocked pocket some it's a silver line case you put your cell phone in there it used to be the old ones you could take the battery out you can't anymore because even when it's shut off it's still radiating you and it's still tracking you and it's still listening to you shut off but if you put it in the blocked pocket it's you won't get any phone calls so you know, it defeats having a, carrying a cell phone around in that sense. But so what can you do if you figure I got to have it? Well, keep it away from your body, carry it away from your body and be aware of what you're saying, even when it's turned off. <laughs> and uh, then there are technologies. I tell people you can go look up VivoBase, V-I-V-O-B-A-S-E. It's a product from Germany, and they give you their rundown on how it works, which I won't go into other than to say it stops the cells from crenating, being dehydrated, and that's how it can do damage to us, the, uh, the radiations. And then I had another device called a concerto, and that you can look up on the internet too. the guy who developed who I knew he's passed on and his kids still carry it on. And then there's another one, EMF Harmony. They've got bracelets. They've got stuff you can put on your house that I understood the science that they gave. And just like the Vivo base will tell you, this isn't science that science would say they recognize, which I recognize that, but I understood that they were correct in the science. So uh, there are technological fixes, so to speak. And until we all can uh, graduate into 
not only uh, changing our uh, genetics if we have to and killing any virus if you want to still look at it that way or transmuting whiskey into water uh, and until we can uh, create our own force field that would block any of these very dangerous uh, force fields that are set up to control us and then we need these technological fixes along the way and also i tell people that you know this latest the 5g it works with the chemtrails and it works with the vaccines uh and that the vaccines and nanoparticles like just take uh, na nanoparticleized aluminum conducts electricity real well they go in past the nanoparticles go right into your brain they go right through the blood brain barrier and um, the guy the silicon valley billionaire who wrote the book synchronicity ray kurzweil says we're all going to be hooked up to the cloud that is the plan announced told us by people like ray kurzweil bill gates his those vaccines are part of working with the frequencies that are put out by the cell phone towers that will control your thinking and the vaccines will change your dna you won't be a human being anymore so it'll be more difficult to become enlightened if you go allow that go down that rabbit hole take the vaccine if you do and you haven't been able to change the water into wine and to change that vaccine instantly negated in your body don't ever take it and i still wouldn't take it even if i would say no i'm not going to take this and uh, so yeah no i was just gonna uh, ask you you know isn't it true that each dna segment is uh, an antenna what i would look at as a dual impedance antenna that uh um, tunes into a certain uh, bandwidth of information and that human DNA uh, perhaps is capable of um, uh, tuning into larger bandwidths in animals. So the whole uh, idea of genetically modifying us through vaccines and food and all the ways that are doing it is actually limiting our bandwidth and reducing us to herd animals. Exactly. Yep. You just said what I said in a different way which is probably easier for to grasp and the human we have for instance neurologists brain scientists have said for years we only use a small portion of our brain well if that's true and i'd say yeah i think it's possible which is another way when you were saying our dna has a lot broader bandwidth to say than animal dna and i'd say we don't even use that like we don't even use the potentials in our brain. And this is where the meditative practices and all the practices of being on the path, including uh, health, creating, you know, healthy diet, things like that, avoiding toxins, they open up, give us access to those higher brain functions and DNA functions that you just spoke of, yeah. So the positive to all this with Walter Russell shown us is that really we're never, we're never screwed. 
no matter what is going on in this reality, because it's a two-way cycle, because of the, the, the constant of the fulcrum, no matter what the Ray Kurzweil's of the world, which, you know, to me, I could just put in the chat, he's really the embodiment of the ultimate personification of reductionist materialism. Yep. It really is <laughs> what you get when you go down that path that we've been going down for the last two, 300 years. Um, but the, the beauty of Russellian um, physics and cosmogony is that we're never screwed. That, okay. <laughs> but just like the, um, the guy, um, the, the Jewish guy who was in the concentration camp, you may be getting tortured and people dying all around you, but if you can find that inner peace and you can find ways to transmute that reality, you can still find happiness there and you can actually get out of that and uh, continue on. So it's really about getting rid of, getting away from victimhood this exactly. narrative of being a victim and getting back to individuality versus collectivism. While collectivism is important, still we need to first embrace our individuality and understand that we are the true creators. We are the true people empowered to control our reality. And yeah. then really the, the, the world's our oyster. I mean, really we can uh, transcend anything. We can transmute and we can manifest our, our desires. Yeah, I, I, I'd say, real simple statement, I can't lose for winning. Because even <laughs> if I've chosen the wrong path and wanted to see what it was like to sail a ship through a hurricane, I'm going to learn, and I won. <laughs> I can't lose for winning. So yeah, we're never screwed. So it, boils down to, so it boils down to what Walter Russell always uh, <laughs> taught, which is, Knowledge is the key to everything, and of course, he differentiates between knowledge and mere information gathering. Yep. Yeah, how do we... Here's another way. <clears throat> I've thought for years... I used to hypnotize people when I was a kid. I really got into hypnosis in grade school. And I hypnotized a grad student when I was 15 at the University of Colorado who wanted to learn it. Got him into a somnambulistic state where I could give him post-hypnotic suggestion. And that was amazing. To make a real long story short, I told him I was going to leave the room and he wouldn't see me for five minutes and left and came back instantly into the room. He didn't see me. <clears throat> I was moving things around. He saw the things moving around, but he didn't see me. And when I witnessed that, I said, what is reality? How do we know what we think we know? How do I know what I know? Well, <clears throat> there's a difference between information, bias, all the stuff we've been programmed with, and knowing. And I think Russell talked about knowing. And knowing is when you have gone beyond all of your bodily sensed awareness and, and your biases, and you know the truth. And like some Frenchmen said, uh, the devil pales in the presence of a man who knows the truth, his truth. <clears throat> and <clears throat> so, yeah, knowledge is power. And we need to, you talked about collectivism versus individualism. And of course, they both work hand in hand when they're in rhythmic balanced interchange. And that's like when 
Jesus said, when two or more of you gather in my name, I am there. And it's like when the three of us have gathered here, hey, I'm resonating with you two just like magnificently. And we have magnified each of our individual powers. And the Russells talked about when you have a balanced mate, they said, you know, <clears throat> you've cubed your own, each of you has cubed your powers nine times. And I'd say any of us, when we, <clears throat> when we resonate in frequency, we boost our powers and that's where it doesn't take, and the Russells talked about this, that it will only take <clears throat> a small group of people to really change the world. <clears throat> and it only takes a few of us waking up to this prison planet we've been placed in, quarantine, and are in amnesia of our true origins. If enough of us, and it won't take very many, wake up, it's like we entrain the rest of humanity into a new, I'll call it a whirlpool. Yeah, it's like the- Into a higher frequency. The hundred monkey effect, which I know some people try to uh, disavow and say that's not a real thing, but uh, Walter Russell's, uh, you know, can really explain that well in terms of uh, uh, the informational fields and how it affects others. And if we can create enough of those those uh you know positive informational fields i guess that we can then influence others around us you see it all the time like if you walk into a grocery store and you're kind of in a bad mood and you project that and people will tend to not interact with you as well but if you go into a store uh and project you know smart just with the simple act of smiling at people you can literally turn their mood around and um and it's contagious and um very so brilliant description of how it works very so simple and so easy to understand that was great mike <laughs> well thank you um but it's true because that's something we can apply every day that's something i always try to tell people is like you know it's very easy to when you're on the road especially and you're going into a gas station and you just want to get in and out and you just you know you just it's very easy to see that person who's behind the counter is just like a robot working there that you're just trying to get your gas and move on but I try to always engage with them, ask how their day is. I get this from my dad and it's kind of annoying sometimes because he has to stop and talk to every person in the world. But, <laughs> but you know, it's, you can feel that energetic uh, exchange and it's such a rewarding experience to brighten up somebody's day, but also selfishly, I get off on it. You know, it's yeah. like, and, um, and so anyways, it's a great way to hack reality. That's really what we're doing here is we're hacking our reality. That's why I love yep. Joe Dispenza because that's kind of what he's doing. And um, it's all there. We can, what's beautiful about Walter Russell is we can literally experience this every day in our life by just going out and doing the work. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and, and so you, we talk about knowledge and being empowering. And I think people oftentimes lose track about this in the, on the mental plane in terms of, well, I got to go Google things though. And I got to go down these rabbit holes and find out who's running the world and all this. And like, and Walter Russell was very clear. I feel that that is just the mental plane. That is you creating those. That's not real. Those are just motions in effect. What knowledge is, is going and sitting on a rock like I did last night over the, my river and meditating. Mm -hmm. And, um, and going inside and finding that, that fulcrum, like when we had Matt on, you know, last month, he was very good at explaining that. 
And so I guess my question for you, Dr. Viner, is how do you do that in your practice? Um, you know, is it in terms of meditation, in terms of yoga? What are some of the things that you could recommend to our community so that they could get grounded into that, that universal knowledge? Well, I have a, a personal practice uh, that I'd say two, of, two sources of it are virtually identical, which is Paramahansa Yogananda's Kriya Yoga and Hamid Bey's. Uh, uh, it's, they call it the, the cobra breath, the Coptics. They're virtually identical. And, but any meditation practice that a person, you can do mantra meditations, uh, you can meditate on the breath. There are lots of different ways. I, I uh, many decades ago, I went through Maharishi Mahesh Yogi's, uh, his, his yogic technique, which was a mantra. And you can take any word you want as a mantra. You wouldn't have to go and study with uh, the Maharishis where you, they would give you your own personal mantra. You could just take the word, say, peace or love or whatever word you would want. And I know the Coptics have a Isom. Uh, Isa was the name of Jesus in the Far East. There's a temple there. I know Michio Kushi, one of his articles talked about it's been there for over a thousand years dedicated to St. Isa, who came from the, <clears throat> Egypt, the, the west to them, which was Christ. And uh, so Isa was, he was, had that name as well. And they use it as a mantra meditation, Isom, the universal sound of creation, Om, Isom, Isom. And, um, and then I would t encourage anybody to do um, some type of yoga. I talked about my centering class as a new yoga. It's based on the principles that I described for every joint in the body should be capable of going through the full ranges that it's designed to do not just the spine, but every joint. And, but do some form of yoga, physical yoga, hatha yoga, do some form of a meditation. Even if, it's, if you're coming out of a Christian, say only tradition, prayer and meditation, or contemplation, if you don't like the word meditation, I figure probably most listeners are not put off by any of the oriental aspects of this. Uh, but if you are, just go to your own uh, religious background and say prayer and meditation. And that helps, that centers you. Because what is our purpose here? You have to ask yourself, what is my purpose? What was I created for? And only you can answer that. And when you answer that, then... Uh, <clears throat> You can put focus, focused intention upon your purpose of manifestation to apply it to your life in the world. And every human being has that birthright, that potential. And I'm sure you all are doing it. I just put it in words that <clears throat> focused intention. Uh, 
creates a manifestation that you then apply in your life and to the world and ask yourself, what is your purpose? And then that's your focused intention. Would, would Walter Russell say that everybody, um, well, he called it what unfold, um, into this reality with a specific, um, role to play a specific intention they need to find, or is it more fractal? Well, what do you mean by more fractal? In, in other words, that um, with each um, wave that we can, we, can change our, we can change our reality or change our future so that we, we don't have a specific role to play. In other words, is it already like a play where a script's written and we need to find that we are a specific, you know, uh, a butcher, or a candlestick maker, and that's once we find that, we find happiness? Or is it completely um, fractal in the sense that we can always change it and we can always, it's more of just finding your spiritual balance and not having to worry so much about finding your vocation, if you will? Or do well, we my- have a preset fate in that sense where we need to find that? I don't yeah. know if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. And I, my answer would be, it's both. In other words, don't get hung up on it has to be either or. In the sense that I would say, other than you create your own destiny, which is what I said, you have to decide it. You do decide it. <laughs> and, it's, you, and that's why I'd say you have to, because you do. You have to decide what you're going to choose to think and do. And then you have a lifetimes of habits of choices of thought and action. So in that sense, you could say, like, I figure I was born to be a doctor and all of the pain and suffering, which I had when I went through, that was mostly, but not just limited to my back. I had illnesses, allergies, ulcers, they thought, and it was really my back and my poor diet. But I look at all of that was uh, a script, if you would, that I had created probably from my past. And I had to go through and it was really a blessing. And I realized, my God, I because I would have never done the things and become who I am now if I hadn't had that experience of coming in with I had deformed bones, I had a transitional type of the lumbosacral joint, like the sacrum, which the spine sits on between the two anominous, the two hip bones. It never fully developed. It was more like a kid's. And so it was very unstable and stuck out on me like a tail. And I always told my friends, well, yeah, they always would say, well, yeah, we always knew you were the devil. (laughs) And so I had to figure out how to make corrections to that. And so in that way, it was a blessing, but I had that, I created it, but I could, recre- I could recreate it, and I did. I demonstrated it, just like Bear demonstrated. He got rid of his, he recreated uh, being a uh, victim of uh, Lyme's disease. I recreated being a victim of a kyphoscoliosis with deformed bones and even dissolved masses of calcium in my spine that were where my ribs had fused with the spine and so we we changed our destiny and yes and every moment we are creating our destiny and it's open-ended 
<laughs> it's not a closed circuit. I love that. I love the idea that it's not deterministic, that time is, um, is just one of the uh, 18 dimensions, right? And part of yeah. the in that they all influence each other. Yeah, and in one sense, I remember when we were doing, I did three years of new science research with the university, looking at transmutation and radioactive waste and also uh, creating free hydrogen, which Walter Russell, we were do, doing our best to duplicate his work at Westinghouse Lamp Laboratories, which I think he did in 1926 or 27, where he created hydrogen from uh, nitrogen. And we had his old lab books, and uh, uh, but in any case, uh, uh, train of thought where I was going with it, that we can transmute, yeah, we can change, we do create our destiny and we can change things. And uh, I demonstrated it, I could be my, I could be one of the now, I could be a, there was I'm saying the fifth that I would talk about. I could talk about myself because I I transmuted and changed my physical body too, and we always can do that. All of us can do it. Oh, I know where I was going. In our transmutation, I said, if you can change one, you if you really totally change one of them, you have to change all the others. They all change at the same time. I, I, I well, love that. I, you, you broke up there for a second. I don't know if it was just on my end, but you said if you could change one, what? I, okay, can you We're hear? We're listening you, Mike. Oh, okay. It's my, uh, here, it's my internet. I think it's a glitch on your end. Yeah, the 18 dimensions, uh, I think that's fascinating to look at because uh, it, it is true. And I think maybe that's where the concept of holographic uh, universe dimension, they all have to change with it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I appreciate your story. You know, I met a lot of individuals along the way in my schooling that got into the vocation of medicine for the same exact reason that they had issues within their own health. And that's what led them to medicine in the first place. So, um, yeah, it seems to be uh, a great draw for a lot of people. The wounded so, healer. Um, you know, sorry, go ahead. The wounded healer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm interrupted. Sorry. No, no. Um, so, Mike, uh, what, what were you? Uh, well, I was just going to, uh, well, actually, I was going to move forward a little bit here and just ask if um, Dr. Tim knows if uh, there's any new, I know Darren Cullum uh, at the uh, university are working on things, but are they, is there, are they actively working on um, new energy technologies uh, new medicine technologies stuff w through the university, uh, trying to kind of bring back some of those things Walter Russell had done? Affirmative for new energy, nothing in new medicine technologies, but uh, okay. certainly with uh, new energy. There, I would say I was the second, my cr crew when, when I was doing the new science research, we were the second generation, Walter Russell being the first. And now, um, Darren and and the crew are. And I, I'm on that board too, still with the the science, uh, <clears throat> doing a a little bit to assist uh, Darren and the crew 
but they are the third generation for new energy technologies and they've taken it to a whole other level which i can't go into details and and uh, the only trouble with all of this and i know back when ron and toby and i were the three of us i i enlisted them they were credentialed quote scientists that i knew we'd really kind of come to the conclusion that we were not going to have free energy on this planet until the consciousness of the planet was had transcended where it is and one simple way of looking at that is and until until the lower level of consciousness which is controlling our media our communications our education all of it is uh till we go beyond it max planck said you know it's only a new generation that outgrows the old generation's concepts of the universe um, we won't have any free energy because they will do just like they did with so many of the patents that i showed in my book they're going to stop it like one of the patents ed gray that i've got in there and it's got an article i have his patent and i have an article from a magazine that i wanted to put in too where he and his wife are shown with a certificate of merit they got for his free energy motor a new motor that runs on has no fuel no exhaust in the conventional sense it would be the answer to the world's free energy you know energy crisis and they have a certificate of merit for this from then governor reagan of california 1973 and i tell people well if governor then became president reagan knows about this why the hell don't you <laughs> wow see they, they stop it and that's what i mean there has to be and leo always said this too we have there will have to be a change in human consciousness and i say i agree with that because even if we develop this what you got on screen to hey we're producing free energy and i've known um, I've known personally people that <clears throat> had done this. One, Stan Meyer, he came to the palace. He knew Leo, I knew him. They killed him. He drove a car across the United States, I think on a gallon of water to demonstrate it. His, uh, Stan Meyer, I think was a fuel cell. Yep. And I've known other people that were killed. Eugene Malov had a science magazine. They got rid of him. Uh, and by some stroke of luck i'm still here even though i did all kinds of stuff i went over to russia after chernobyl blew up met with their scientists and got with uh, i guess help from above atomic suicide in to hand deliver to their scientists at the science and technology institute in in moscow wow but, uh and uh, i heard uh turned on a radio right as I was leaving Missoula, Montana, just happened to turn on NPR. And it was right when Gorbachev was leaving Air, Andrews Air Force Base to fly back to Russia after he met with, with Reagan. And he said, and that was the only place I ever heard it. He, the translation of his speech, he said, well, I had many fruitful talks with President Reagan and we talked about the climate and radioactivity. Wow. Oh. The ozone layer, he said, too. 
And the Russells, of course, predicted the ozone hole before anybody dreamed we'd have one from radioactivity. Um, yeah, you know, in terms of the consciousness, um, you know, evolving to the point where we can have these things, I totally agree. And I believe that's, that relates to the field and going there. And that's just being, um, you know, we're seeing that in the physicality with the control systems right now, because our global consciousness is still based on scarcity and based on negative, the negative and, uh, and a lot of, you know, lack of that inner knowledge. But I will say, and I've always said that I believe the patent system is a honey trap to capture technology. Um, mm -hmm. So um, I do believe that we are on the cusp of the ability to have free energy technologies out because of decentralization that's coming, stuff that we're working with the blockchain, um, getting things off of decentralized systems and to a distributed network where they can't see before they could kill the guys because they'd get the patent, they get the centralized patent, they'd hide that away. They'd get the technology, they'd raid the home, they'd steal the servers, they'd steal all the books with all the diagrams. They'd crush all the information and they'd kill the creator. But if you can have that distributed out and, and across hundreds of thousands of nodes on, on people's computers via, you know, a blockchain or some sort of decentralized system, distributed system, where you can't, there's no central vector points of attack, then killing the messenger will do nothing because it's already out there. And I feel like that's a huge evolution that we're now seeing right now. And with the internet too, which was, you know, a precursor to blockchain, as we discussed last week, which was a true decentralized open source technology where it allows us to basically uh, empower us to each spread our own information without having to go through the more classic means of, uh, you know, mailing each other stuff or, or putting it in a book and publishing it and trying to sell that or put it in libraries. That's all centralized. That can all be attacked and burnt and destroyed. So, and, and not saying there's not those same pitfalls with digital. Of course, it's almost easier with centralized digital because you've got Google now controlling information where people think, I'm going to go find truth. I'm going to Google it. Well, no, you're not going to find truth that way. But my point is, I, I firmly agree that it's all relating to this global consciousness and having to, uh, you know, as we say, wake up to this stuff. And so with these new technologies, don't patent it, put it out in a distributed system so that the world can get it, open source it so others can work on it. Stop getting into the scarcity and the greed mentality that I'm going to need to profit off this technology. You will be able to profit off it. Um, if it's done correctly with uh, Linux being a great model of that, which is, a, which is an open source operating system, uh, which the very computer you're working on right now is using. Um, but anyways, that's my spiel on that. So I'm very positive and optimistic that we are literally right now seeing that great changeover to a world where these types of innovations will be able to come out and we'll be able to celebrate that together as a global community. And, um, well, you know, so we, we always have to go back to the fundamental fact that we are the original technology and we cannot be shut down unless we allow it. Uh, that's also why I think the practice of medicine applying these principles that we've been discussing is, is really critical. Um, you know, when I uh, assess people, I have laboratory and instrumentation type assessment that can form identically to the you know, to the three-dimensional access that uh, 
Walter Russell talks about as far as, uh, you know, what uh, contributes to, uh, you know, the waveforms that will produce the health and, and all the things that we want to see in our life. So, uh, you know, what we're doing here at Alpha Vedic too is uh, taking great measures to um, lead practitioners into a place where instead of diagnosing disease or, or even in naturopathic circles, which I think has become more of a green allopathy rather than progressive medicine, uh, you know, we really need to understand the principles of waveform analysis and how that does create our biology and that all diagnostic procedures should be done from that vantage point, which allows us to truly go to the cause and, uh, you know, really, uh, holistic medicine and I think looking for the cause and a lot of alternative medicine these days is just lip service because we're still uh, messing around with after effects and trying to retro uh, injury, uh, you know, reverse engineer everything from the after effects rather than going to the waveform, uh, which you brilliantly portray in your book as uh, being everything. Well said indeed. <laughs> Well, hey guys, this has been a magnificent talk today, and I feel like we could talk about Walter Russell's cosmogony, his physics, I mean, for, for 40 hours. It's just so in-depth and so much to it, and uh, I've, you know, I've only been researching and studying this for a few years thanks to Dr. Lando's you know, introducing it to me, and I feel like, man, you could study it your whole entire life. And I mean, Walter Russell's a great example. He had his periods of illumination and he had his one where he was out for what was it? 39 days or. Yep. Uh, and it took him how many years to decompact that and put that into his, you know, into the universal one. I mean, it, it took him a long time to really figure out the language and the, and how to compile this. And he had the direct kind of tapped in source so um, it's really in, in, intensive, but also what I love about it the most is it really just, like I said earlier, it brings, it empowers each individual. And that's what I love about it so much. And it relates to what Jesus said, which is, you know, that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is here. We have the ability to tap in whenever we want. And there is no victimization. So um, it's very empowering. Well, I think we started off... Uh, we were given a bunch of lemons as we started this program, but we've made a very nice lemonade, <laughs> <laughs> which is what we're all doing in our lives. Everybody listening to and seeing the whole thing. We're all making lemonade out of the lemons. <laughs> yes. We had well, some technical difficulties uh, to get this started to say the least. And I even like messed up and hit unrecorded for a second. So I have to figure that out. But um, we've got a backup recording, so we're good. But uh, anyways, yeah, it's uh, well, well said. It's all about making lemonade every day for sure. Um, well, hey, thanks so much for joining us today, Dr. Tim. It was truly a pleasure. I really enjoyed this conversation. Um, any parting words for our community and listeners? Listen to yourself and... I would encourage everybody to ask themselves, what is my purpose and how do I know what I know? Brilliant. And uh, Thanks, Dr. Dr. Kim. Dr. Lando. No, uh, I was just going to say. Go ahead. Go ahead. 
No, you go ahead. I was just going to say thanks, Dr. Tim, for being with us. Uh, really a joy today. And uh, who knows, maybe we'll meet up in the flesh someday. But otherwise, I feel very connected after our talk. And uh, yeah, just thanks so much. And uh, love to see your neck of the woods sometimes. Uh, I know you live in a beautiful place also. If either of you or even listeners come to the Bitterroot Valley of Montana, you can find me. And uh, <clears throat> you too, if you come out here, you got a place to stay anytime too. Oh, fantastic. I have family. My dad was born in Missoula, and I have family in Whitefish, Kalispell, uh, throughout Montana. So uh, I, I try to make it up there. It's been a while, but you live in, by some of the largest, most beautiful wilderness in North America, well, in the United States. And, uh, and so it's definitely an amazing place to visit. And that's something we stress all the time here is nature and really is the source. Go ahead, Bear. Now, I was going to say, Dr. Tim, likewise, you always have a place out here. We live uh, in a pristine environment. We have our own river and swimming holes, and there's nobody around for miles. There's no electrical grid for miles. I'm uh, speaking to you today just on satellite, and then we turn the satellite off whenever we don't need it. So you, you really get used to living without all the frequencies here. So I think you'd enjoy it, and there's, we've got plenty of room for you. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Well, thank you uh, for joining us today. Um, this has been a wonderful chat. Uh, if you've enjoyed this and you're watching on YouTube, please give us a thumbs up and share this uh, to friends and family. That really helps us out. Uh, if you haven't yet and you enjoy this, please subscribe. Uh, if you're listening on iTunes or anywhere, you can actually watch this on YouTube. You can join us live every Thursday on dlive.tv forward slash alphavedic. Uh, you can also join our community at Telegram, which is t.me forward slash Alpha Vedic. It's a wonderful app uh, that we use to uh, have a virtual community, uh, which is very active. We're also on Discord. You can find all those links on our website at alphavedic.com. Uh, you can also get Dr. Heiner's books on our book list, which is alphavedic.com forward slash book list. So please support him by purchasing the book. Um, it was a wonderful read. Uh, for those watching, you can see I'm holding it up right here. Um, In the Wave Lies the Secret of Creation. It's a fantastic book um, with uh, lots of illustrations and um, a lot of charts and artwork from uh, Dr. Russell. Uh, so I highly recommend picking that, this up. And um, you can once again find that at alphavedic.com forward slash book list. Thanks, everybody, for joining us today. Get outside, uh, go grow something, go on a hike, really uh, get into nature as much as you can. Uh, she really uh, will point you in the right direction always. So thanks again, and thanks, everybody, on the live stream. Uh, thanks for the chat. It was a wonderful today. Cheers.